Hello and welcome to the Slot Plus segment of the Slate Culture Gab Fest. Today I have, in a very Thrones-like manner, ousted Dana and Steve from the Plus segment and invited Willa Paskin and Dan Coyce, like marauding armies from Marine, to take over because... I wanted to talk about Game of Thrones and what kind of TV show it will turn out to have been. Uh, and I thought there would be no better interlocutors than Dan Coyce, our culture editor, and Willa Paskin, our TV critic, who wrote a great piece today about how this season of Game of Thrones has changed a little bit the template of what kind of show it is. Willa, why don't you start by laying out the argument you made on Slate this week uh, about the finale and about um, how the show seems to maybe be changing? Sure. I think Game of Thrones is this like vast, epic medieval tale that is sort of has a lot of elements that are familiar from other vast, epic medieval tales. But it has always kind of made this claim to be a sort of more ambitious, serious, prestigious television show because it's been um, difficult in a way that those sort of fantasies aren't. Like it kills all these people that we love. It doesn't ever let us feel really satisfied when someone we hate dies. Um, And that's kind of been the DNA of the show. And I thought that in this finale, finally, the show was like, we've got an ending to get to and we're off these books. Let's have some fun. And so it finally, you know, it it excised a bunch of plots that have been taking up all this time and it killed a bunch of people and it let us kind of enjoy that. Like it had some – it had Cersei kill a lot of people and it kind of seemed like a – you know, quote unquote, badass moment. She was like looked so cool and she was drinking her wine. And I thought the show had sort of just been like, okay, like strap in. We're going to try to have some fun. We've only got two seasons left. Yeah. I mean, I I really think I've been struggling this season to understand what kind of show Game of Thrones is. I, I do not um, – believe that Game of Thrones is great television. Well, it's an interesting thing. I've been fixated on this exact question and I just realized it's like the wrong question because I also have been like, is Game of Thrones good or is it bad? And the thing is, Game of Thrones is actually just this quintessential television show. Like it is what television is, which is to say it's like good or bad. Dallas or something. But it's like good or bad is kind of like leave that for like the snobs want to talk about art, which is all these people who talk about TV now, including myself. What it is is I'm just a snob (laughs) who wants to talk about art. Totally. But no, as as are we all in this way. But I think that that games is like this phenomenon and people are really interested in it. And the things that are interesting about it and moving about it and fascinating about it and terrible about it are almost – kind of not related to whether or not it's like actually good or actually bad. It's so rich. It's so deep. It has all these things that are related to things that are happening in our actual culture. You can do all these readings of it independent of kind of its quality. And I think that's sort of like this this sort of storm of attention and passion about it is so much more what is meaningful about it and what makes it like the TV show of right now than whether or not it's like actually any good or actually any bad or just like the best version of this kind of thing that's ever been made, which is not actually still very good. You know, it's like I I think in some ways it's generative powers um, exceed just questions of quality. Right. Though what matters about Game of Thrones is that right now you can get in a big fight with any random person on the street about – like is Daenerys Bernie Sanders, and not just even, <laughs> or the Sparrow, and not just even, you know, right? Not not like just piddling plot points, but like real substantive 
questions about the world that we live in, whether or not it's like really worth that. I, I thought the em- Emily Nussbaum had a review of it, um, having not seen the finale in The New Yorker this week. And she sort of just mentioned in passing that it's the kind of show that like lets us talk about politics without actually hating each other or fighting because we can't – we're so polarized we can't talk about politics. And it's sort of – there's TV shows that – and I think probably sports, you know, that fill this function where like you can actually ha- – like things are not so polarized that there can be a really wide range of different opinions about it and you can sort of engage with people and not know what they're going to think about it in advance. I find all of your arguments on this front – Untrue. <laughs> I, do, I don't or I'm much more interested in the question of whether this show is good or why I don't think this show is truly great, even though I think it is very good, um, because I find it's politics sort of simplistic and pat and a little bit glib. And that may have to do with the fact that there's just so much. There's so many worlds. There's so many armies. There's so much story. And the shows are only I mean, the shows do an very admirable job of balancing as many plot lines as they have and developing the nuance and the subtlety of character that they do given how brief an amount of time we're able to spend with each of those characters. Um, But somehow, even though this show does the things of like golden age of television hallmarks of, or at least up until this point, have done the things like The Wire did of being like uh, efforts never achieve results, right? Like all work is futile. All men must die. Nobody who ever tries to do something good will be rewarded. All plots tend deathward. That all is the Don esque <laughs> message of Game of Thrones. Yeah, well, or just the, 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 the kind of entropic vision of the first several seasons and of the books is that no one who ever attempts anything will succeed. We're watching a snapshot of people struggling towards some outcome. But like in, in the true George R. R. Martin vision of the world, right, the White Walker should win, right? Like the, the armies of the night should just come and descend because everybody's too caught up in their own crap. So, so there's some uh, gloss. Yeah, of, but what an unsatisfying fucking TV show no, that would be. I, I also think – That would be terrible. It's not just even that. It's that I actually think what you've tapped on is something about the show and the books that is like a little wrongheaded in the sense that I think um, – it's so pessimistic. That's in in this way that prestige TV actually um, gets its power from being pessimistic. Like if you kill people, it's a sign that you're serious. And in a way, the books has this philosophy: like if everything is just always awful, that's a sign of how realistic we're being. But the truth is that as shitty as the world can be, not only terrible things happened. And in Westeros, we're living in Westeros where they defeated the White Walkers once already, with presumably. With their magic wall that they built. Yeah, with whatever they did. It's like – so there are – there, I think because the show has been so aggressively, aggressively and the books like against any possible beacon small drop of hope, it makes now the possibility that it will suddenly start to exist as we're sort of coming to this end of the story seem totally ridiculous. But of course, they're, they're, that is part of life too, like that these, these – Sometimes people do achieve things. Yeah. Well, and maybe one of the differences between this and you know one of the prestige dramas that you're referring to, Julie, is that those prestige dramas are meant to expose uh, or explore the darkness within a very particular subculture or uh, or geographical location. It's meant to – it's meant to ex- explore the breakdown of systems in the modern city or it's meant to explore the darkness of organized crime or it's meant to explore the darkness of the 60s. But Westeros is meant to represent an entire world. Like it really attempts to represent an entire world. Every person, place and thing 
in an entire planet, I guess, or flat Earth. I don't know. Um, and so the notion that you could make a series that is meant to encompass something that big and therefore by extension encompass all of our world and have that maintain the same steely forever pessimism and fatalistic viewpoint of a series that's meant to explore a tiny microcosm seems of a different order. Like it seems like that would be a differently dissatisfying way to make a TV show uh, or probably to make a series of books than just doing it about a smaller thing, right? Like if you're doing a TV show that literally is saying the entire world is shit, everyone is shit, everything is but shit. But that's why it's so shit, powerful That's right rough. Now. But that, I think that actually what you've tapped into is why the show is like the phenomenon that it is, is that in a way this everything is total shit and it's always shit it feels like this extremely appropriate reflection of our moment. But most people Whether don't actually or not feel it's like that real way. Life. What? Most people don't actually feel that way. That's why but I feel I, like I the notion that, that this show like is not... going to move eventually in a more optimistic way doesn't feel like a cop-out to me. It feels like that's what people actually want out of the world. No, I think that's what they want out of their television. I think that the reason that – I think the show not to like – Laura Miller has made me feel embarrassed to ever use the word allegorical in this context. And, and, and <laughs> We're certainly wrong. using it but I, th- but I think one of the reasons the show is such sort of has been this kind of powerful metaphor that we used over and over again for every terrible thing that ever happens. It's like how does Brexit reflect Game of Thrones? I mean there has been pieces like that forever is because it somehow it feels like it's tapped into this very particular of this moment like um, there is no such thing as – progress everything just deteriorates we're at this it's all, all all we can do is go off the precipice and so i think that in our television shows we would and in, in our world we would like to imagine that there's going to be this happy ending but i think one of the reasons that the show has just is such a phenomenon is it feels um even as it's this fantasy and this ridiculous world of dragons it feels like it's tapped into something like a very specific anxiety right, right now which is like that there we're just one step from everything unraveling and it being impossible to ravel it back together. Right. Well, I I think there's two issues here that we're trying to puzzle out. One is my own internal puzzlement about somehow this show's dark nihilistic pessimistic worldview feels like a gloss of sophistication rather than actual sophistication is a view that I have that I'm not sure I trust, right? Like is really Mad Men or Sopranos' gloss of nihilism or pessimism actually more emotionally sophisticated than this one? Do I discount this one because it is full of dragons as fantasy fan boys and girls might suggest that I'm doing? I don't know. But for some reason it feels less sophisticated. I think it's because the breadth of the world makes each section of it feel slightly less deep. The shallower. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's because the, the world is shit is more broad and – basic of an argument for a show to make than the intricacies and also, of the you, various worlds. That yeah, you just don't spend enough time with any of the it's characters just, in some ways. It's like, a little bit less deep because it, what it's mastery of and, is, is breath. But wait, just, just to get to the second point, the, the second argument, I think, is sort of whether the sh- TV show is now doing something different and uh, th- this sort you know, I mean, I think the open question is that this season broadly has been much more satisfying than all previous seasons. Like characters that have spent five seasons on separate continents have like showed up in the same courtyard. Brothers and sisters have met each other. Uh, People have like killed for revenge successfully and seemed happy about it. Uh, You know, battles have been won, like the cavalry rides in, like things have happened that seem um, positive and forward moving as opposed to entropic and nihilistic. And 
it's interesting, A, to speculate whether that means the show's headed towards that direction, like they're going to give us a satisfying narrative conclusion to the story. B, it's interesting to like think about the pathos of George R. R. Martin, who seems <laughs> unable to wrap up these stories and whether I just find myself constantly wondering whether he has a like happy, tidy conclusion in his mind that he's unable to commit to the page that he's shared with the creators of the show and they're executing his vision or whether he's like he's so committed to the nihilistic yeah. entropy that what he the reason he can't finish the books is that he can't figure out a way to end the story that's true to his fundamental belief that no stories ever end and all men must die and the Hollywood folks are just like boom hooray let's like put Daenerys on a ship and let's get some dragons and yeah. everybody's together and the gang's ganging up and they're all going to take down Cersei and then they're going to fight the White Walkers <laughs> and then they're all going to like pop champagne on the top of the wall and right. that and like scene you know like I, like I can't tell whether the direction the show is moving is toward a betrayal of what Martin has done with these books that's interesting. And then finally, I'm also on the lookout for the bait and switch. You know, yeah. it's like a classic move to have, you know, we've got two seasons left, right? Like a, I think it's like a six and a seven or a seven yeah. and a six episode mini season in the in the recent weird ass trend of of broken up <laughs> final seasons as, as uh, yeah. production companies and networks milk these shows for all they're worth. But I could easily see us having yeah. seven episodes of triumph and then uh, six you know. episodes of more chaos. <laughs> right. Right. It's once upon a time we definitely thought Rob Stark was going to like get it together and have the Starks rule over Westeros in his name. I think, you know, this is not based on anything except just what I think. Um, I think that he, George R. R. Martin, like, does have an end game that he shared with them and whether or not like the actual writing of it would have changed it or whether he's having a hard time writing it because of his problems with conclusions. I don't think that, like, the end of the show is going to be dramatically different from the end of the books, even if every detail is. That just seems too wild to me, and he's sort of still involved. But I guess we'll see. I mean, I, I think in that case, it would just be, like, it would just be such a great it's almost like such a great science experiment that I hope that that happens where it's like TV makes it happy and then he finishes yeah. the books and then it's totally. just like an apocalyptic just charred like a, yeah. race and it's just like the road. It just it's ends just like, with like right. Aria walking through a desolate totally landscape. Totally like ends on all their like first person narrations of then they're like and then they took one more step and like Killed the world over. was horrible <laughs> still. Yeah. I mean there's there's so many things about even just this level of thinking like to me this is kind of the thing about the show. It's like it doesn't its goodness is sort of irrelevant to like how deeply you can think about it. And that's not really true of that many things, um, that they're like detailed and rich enough um, in their sort of have been imagined in such detail that you can really like get invested and interested and th- think thoughtful about them, even if you're not totally convinced that they're very so good. That's so true. It's funny I because – I think it's worth noting too that that the existence of the books over the last six years – has added to the pleasurable meta narrative surrounding them, the the interpretive game that we all get to play. Like most shows, don't give us that like third or fourth or fifth level of fun to have with them, and which which has contributed to this. So, like all told, I'm I'm on Willa's side that, irrel- like irrespective of whether it is a good show or not, and the answer is it is both a good and bad show. Uh, but irrespective of that, it is definitely the most fun show to talk about ever. <laughs> I don't know about ever as someone who spent a long time talking about Mad Men, but it's definitely very fun to talk about. Oh, it's so much more fun to talk about than Mad Men. I, I you mean, can just, talk about it. There's more to talk about. You can talk about it with more people. 
And people get way angrier. People get way angrier about Game of Thrones than they ever did about Matt. But I do think that there is a similarity. I mean, I've, I've observed the similarity before where they both have this um, – they're at the kind of level where you don't ask yourself at the beginning of every episode, like, is this good or is this bad? It's post. You check your reservations at the door and you just sort of dive into, like, what's the theme? Like, what's the symbolism? What does this all mean? Like, you can just do this really deep analysis of characters and motivations without actually kind of having to engage with these questions of whether it's really working or not. Right, it's like food rather than art. You are hungry for it at the beginning of the show. And then once you're full, you're like, ah, was that was that any good? I, I love food metaphors for writing. Also, Katie Waldman has made me self-conscious about this. All Slate does is run stories where I'm like, I have the worst writer tics. I should stop <laughs> doing that. But I think that we don't want to talk about Game of Thrones. Like, it's food? No. It's not actually food. You have to like – if it's food, it's like food where you're like every bite – you're feeling the grit and the slime. It's like and a the nude lo- eyeballs. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and, and the and the teeth of your sons. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I, I think I think you guys have given me some hope as to what to look out for in in coming episodes. The one thing I want to talk about before we adjourn this plus segment is um, the ladies. This is kind of like the year of the ladies and the year of the of the show being like, oh, remember all those punitive seeming rapes and nakedness? Like now all the women are in charge, so it's okay, right? I mean, you could, if you could see the size of my eye roll right now, it's like it's taking up the whole room. It's it's like a double rainbow eyebrow. Well, it just like smeared her eyes around the perimeter of yeah. this podcast studio. I. I This actually is another – it's really hard to talk about Game of Thrones without talking about the conversation about Game of Thrones. And one of the things about this season that's been really interesting to me and and sort of speaks to the possibility that this whole season is a kind of -of rope-a-dope of satisfaction to just punch us in the face is just how eager fans of the show – commenters on the show have been to be like, look, it's totally like down with the patriarchy. We had all these naked girls who had perfectly – perfect pubic hair, no naked dudes, everyone got raped all the time, but don't worry about it because in this sort of like really simplistic way, now they're all in charge. Woohoo! It's like they're all in charge. They're monsters. They've just become – all the women have, you know, have come into power and become – just to perpetuate horrible systems. I mean Danny has freed slaves and that is wonderful. She has shows like no signs of knowing how to rule in any sort of contained way and like in any – I'm not – she shows no signs of knowing how to rule in any continuous helpful way and absolutely totally wrong she dumped her boyfriend yeah, exactly she's 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 turned into like, only because Tyrion, a man told her to <laughs> no and also and so only so she could behave like a man having no feelings basically i just find it so it seems so shallow to me but not in a way that's like bad per se but the 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 reaction to it of just being like oh, finally game of thrones is like writing the wrongs it's made before it's just like it seems so – it seems like such a uh, – like a willfully rainbow reading of like colorful, glittery reading of what's actually happening, which right. which is G- I think Game happens with so many things on the show where it's like people like it so much. They enjoy it so much that they see what they want to see and not what's actually there. I mean Danny right. is like a perfect example of that. We're supposed to love that character because she's so awesome in the books, quote unquote. She's never been awesome on the show, particularly. She has these cool dragons and people are obsessed with her. It's like you don't want to see – like the evidence in front of – like John is a terrible warrior. Like he literally should have died a billion times. He'd moat faces. He can't act. Sorry, Kit Harrington. Sorry. Um, <laughs> you know that like 
and you just see like the the, the show, propulsion of the show like it kind of almost like obviates the evidence of the show itself. Yeah, yeah. no. Well, I, mean, so I agree with you that Game of Thrones has not solved its woman problem so much as it has applied its man problem to women. But I do still think that the notion that the show in a set in a totally patriarchal world that does not find roles for women in, in leadership has women at least play in the game is like fun. That is a fun viewership experience, I think, for everyone and an interesting turnabout and twist in this season. Totally, yeah. except why aren't they playing the game since now truly, as far as I can tell, women are in charge of every single are in charge of every single ruling system in the whole show except for John, who um is in charge who's of really, to Sansa. Who's really going to be ruled by Sansa when time Well, happens. yeah. I mean, the thing that I liked about the finale on this front is, first of all, as heralded by her evil dress, best evil dress ever, <laughs> I want one of those, like, collarbone chain things. Yeah. Uh, I'm just Could you imagine wearing that queen. into the office just to the edit meeting and how terrified I mean, we would all be? <laughs> how do you know that I'm not wearing that today? Fair Dan. point. <laughs> um, but anyway, the sort of like uh, the the mass death epaulets, uh, the that embroidered carapace dress, great dress, Cersei. She's obviously not going to be a like hell yeah lady in charge. And then I'm most interested by the tension that's being set up between Sansa and John. Yeah. I can't figure out exactly what's happening there, but I feel like Sansa gets like more interesting and complex and rich, and she's going to either like throw John under the bus or ally with Littlefinger yeah. in some weird way or but that's, I mean that's interesting Laura Miller wrote a piece about Sansa how Sansa in the books is kind of this like not liked by any on any of the readers and she's sort of become this I think a very f- popular character on the show because she's sort of so interesting and um, and she's been allowed to like develop in this whole other way and yeah, I well in the books in like five books she's still on beat one of this story. right and I and I just worry that she's like not protected because of her relationship to the books like I still think George R. R. Martin's is his ideas for the show are still in play and it's like sometimes you feel that sometimes you can feel the like the spark of disconnect between what a person is in the books and what they are in the show like for example with Arya's hideously boring storyline it's like that's only because people care about her in the book, so we had to sit through that nonsense. Right. You like, didn't like the oozing face haul? That went on for 10 ep- – no, I was not into the oozing face haul, Julia. Was anyone in the world into the oozing face haul? It's just like Mission Impossible 4 is like back, back lot. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, Dan, Willa, thank you for helping me achieve my Westerosian plot of deposing Dana and Steve for this Late Plus segment. Thanks for coming in to discuss. Second Sons pledge fealty to our dragon queen. Hooray. All right. Thanks, guys. See you. See you in season seven, part A. Till then. Thank you so much, Slate Plus listeners, for supporting Slate Plus and the work that we do at Slate and for listening to this bonus segment of the Slate Culture Gab Fest. We'll see you next week.